Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Elveson with the Digital Education Podcast. As you know, kind of been in a month-long series where I've been asking friends, educators, um, leaders, innovators, kind of in the education space, the school space, the question, what's next? What comes after um, the shutdown, after all this stuff, you know, as we look forward? And have had some really fun conversations. And, and I'm back with uh, somebody that I really admire and I really love following on Twitter. I like listening to his new podcast called Random Assignment, uh, Corey DeAngelis, who is Director of School Choice for the Reason Foundation. Corey, I'm just gonna throw it into your court and, and see what you have to say and, and see where you take it because you always have some great mm-hmm. thoughts and great wisdom. But what do you see coming next or what's next as we look at schools, as we look at education um, after the shutdown. Hey, Eric, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, there's a few thoughts that I have. And first is that there will be a huge disruption to brick and mortar schools as a result of COVID-19. And I think part of this is because families are taking this opportunity to take a step back and look at the factory model of education and really ask themselves whether that's how education should look today in in this day and age. And I think a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of anecdotes on both sides of this issue, you know, you have some families saying that, you know, homeschooling is a disaster. They don't like homeschooling. It's they, they can't wait to get their kids back to brick and mortar school so that they can do other things. Uh, but then you have a lot of families who are at the same time, you know, talking about very positive experiences on social media and elsewhere where their kids are feeling happier, their kids are feeling less anxious, less stressed out, they feel like they're learning more, their kids are more interested in what they're learning since it's more child-centered and self-directed. And they also have reported that they're doing, you know, they're, they're getting the same amount of work done or more work done at the home in a less amount of time than they were at the brick and mortar schools. Um, so we've heard both these anecdotes and we haven't really had strong systematic data until on this particular question until a, a week or two ago, EdChoice actually released a nationally representative uh, survey of parents in the United States. And they, fa- they asked, and one of their questions, they asked the parents, you know, as a result of COVID-19, how, are, how have your views changed on home education? And 52% of the parents in that nationally representative survey said that they had a more favorable view of homeschooling as a result of COVID-19. Only half that proportion, 26%, said that they had a less favorable view of homeschooling as a result of COVID-19. The remaining 22% said no difference, but the main takeaway is here is that parents who said that they're they are twice as likely to say that they, are, they have more favorable views of homeschooling than they are to say that, that they have less favorable views of homeschooling. And I've theorized before before this came out I theorized that you know even if only two percent of families decided that they wanted to make the switch from either you know the government school system to the home uh, you know we have 50 about 50 million kids being educated in government schools or public schools uh, before the pandemic two percent of that's still a million students that would be a huge change and disruption to the education system that's about 15 billion dollars of of education funding tied to those 1 million students since we spend over $15,000 per pupil per year in government schools in the United States. That's a lot of money. That's a huge disruption each year that can happen. Uh, And that's just what I theorized originally that maybe, maybe, you know, 2% and it would still be a large change. I mean, look at that relative to the amount of homeschoolers. I think we have about 2 million homeschoolers in the United States before the 
the shutdown. A 1 million increase is a 50% relative increase in the amount of homeschoolers uh, next year. Um, that's what I had theorized before, but I, I also did a non-random sample, a convenience sample, uh, a survey uh, through my social media accounts and elsewhere where I asked, I asked three simple questions. I asked one, are you a parent of a child in a K through 12 education? Just so I could, you know, weed out uh, the non-parents from my surveys and take them out of the results later. The second question was before the COVID-19 shutdown, where did you send your youngest school-aged child? A traditional public school, a, a uh, charter school, a private school, a virtual school, uh, or did you, were you already homeschooling? So I asked that first, and then I asked afterwards, um, after COVID-19, uh, where do you plan to send your youngest school-aged child so that they're keeping track of the same child? I also add in a, a not, uh, not applicable on this answer as well, because they could have been in 12th grade, and then, you know, they wouldn't be able to choose something for 13th grade um, uh, since they would no longer be a K through 12 student. So I allowed for that answer as well. But the main takeaway here is that from each sector, there seems to be uh, at least uh, an expected large uh, exodus from brick and mortar schools to uh, the homeschool uh, 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 population. So just for example, from the government school sector, about 15% of the parents said that they would switch from the government school sector. And I, I said traditional public in the survey, uh, but you get what I'm talking about. Uh, about 15% said they would transition to homeschooling. For private schools, it was about the same. About 16% of the parents said they, were, they would transition from private school to, uh, to the homeschool scenario. Uh, public charter, it was about the same. I think it was about 13 or 14%. Um, saying that they would switch from public charter to the homeschool sector. So again, though, this is a non-random sample. These people are probably the most likely to want to switch to homeschooling anyway, because, uh, you know, my followers are uh, very highly libertarian minded. Um, so it could be that this is an upper, upper bound estimate. I mean, it's probably not going to be any higher than, than, you know, than the estimates that I find for the population at large. Um, but look, I mean, even if, as I said earlier, even if my survey is wrong, and even if only 2% instead of 15% switch to homeschooling, that'll still be a huge disruption to the system as we know it, and a huge, uh, at least relative increase in the proportion of homeschoolers in the United States. Again, just to reiterate, even if only 2% switch from government-run schools to homeschooling next year, that would still be around a 50% or more increase in the homeschool population in the United States. Um, so taking that survey and then also looking at the EdChoice survey where they, you know, families are saying that they're more, they have more favorable views of homeschooling. And that's a more legitimate survey than mine, uh, to be honest. Um, taking these two data points together and just taking the idea that, you know, some families are going to like homeschooling, even if it's a small proportion, it's going to bring about major changes to the education system as we know it. Wondering, you know, one of the questions maybe I'm wondering about, and then I got a, a, a maybe a real question afterwards. Um, one of the questions I'm wondering about: Do you do you think people might get even more flexible, like with the mixing of the different sectors? You know, like okay, I send my kids part time to, 
you know, the public, you know, the government public school down the street and then, and then, you know, do homeschooling for the other part of it or, you know, or send them here, you know, for online school, do online school and then, you know, and then do some, something elsewhere. I, I'm wondering, I mean, is, is that something that you might see with some of this where people say, Hey, I can handle this much of, of homeschooling or, kind of the the flexible learning sort of thing from remote but yet I need the support and the structures and these other things and and maybe even some of the opportunities that you know the traditional brick and mortar schools have in the extracurriculars that I might not have in my home or my community I, I, is that something that you're wondering about or seeing or, or or hearing anything about that's something I'm wondering about yeah I mean some people are going to figure out that they can do homeschooling full time, but some people might figure out that well, maybe I can make it work for you know a couple of days a week and there are things called hybrid homeschools um, there's researcher Mike McShane at Ed Choice doing a book on these hybrid homeschools um, and so I mean that's that's obviously another setup that people can say, oh well, maybe I can make this this type of uh, you know, education work, or maybe it's a virtual charter school, or maybe, you know, the private school starts incorporating more virtual learning. I know there's another survey that came out from uh, Common Sense Media. This was one of the first ones during the pandemic that came out, but they asked families, uh, you know, or, the, or they, they, you know, asked the students, did you go to a, do you go to a private school or a public school? But they also asked, since the shutdown, have you been continuing your education? And the private school students were over twice as likely as the public school students to say that they continued the education. And that result made sense to me because private schools know that, you know, if they don't up their game during this time, they can lose their customers and lose money. Whereas the government schools is without a school choice program, you know, the, the, the kids are essentially stuck. Um, so that, that finding made, made sense to me that private schools have a stronger incentive to respond accordingly and I've seen reports from people just saying that, you know, private schools have, uh, you know, uh, started doing more virtual education and have even talked about transitioning to more of a virtual school in the future, even after uh, the lockdown. So we might see some of that as well, where kids are still enrolled in the, in the private school or some other type of school, but the school itself looks different after COVID-19 because of whatever the, the school realizes during this time. Maybe they realize that, you know, they can cut some costs and, and still provide a meaningful education with, with virtual education. Maybe they do something like you, you said earlier with, you know, maybe they start doing a hybrid homeschool type of model, even as a, a, you know, a, a structured uh, brick and mortar private school. Maybe they start incorporating some of these technological innovations that they didn't re realize that they could really use before. And then just one more data point. I talked to Kelly Smith. He's a CEO and founder of Prenda Micro Schools. So micro schools are another type of option, which this is essentially like a homeschool co-op the way I think of it, where you get like five to 10 children together. They, they have a guide or a teacher at one of the homes. Um, but it's essentially a very small school, kind of like a one-room schoolhouse, but I kind of think of it as like a homeschool community in a sense. Um, so we could see more of that um, uh, as well. And the, the CEO of Prenda Microschools, he just reported that he thinks that, you know, that, well, he gave me a statistic that he wasn't completely sure of, but he, he thought it was, you know, um, just off the top of his head that he saw maybe a 20% increase in the demand for his uh, micro schools in over in Arizona. I think he had like 700 uh, students before, and then he's seen his demand spike to 850. 
uh, as a result of the crisis. So I think, you know, there's a lot going on here. I mean, these are, you know, my survey wasn't really scientific. And then looking at Prenda, that's just one group of micro schools. But look, I, I found that I estimated about a 15% increase in, in homeschooling. He's reporting about a 21% increase in his particular micro schools, which are, I, I would argue are a form of homeschooling. You have Ed Choice's survey saying that families are much more favorable of homeschooling than they were before. Um, and not, not as many families, half as many families were saying that they're less favorable of homeschooling. So all of these data points are, are pointing in the same direction to, to the idea that you know, the school system is going to change as a result of this, and perhaps there will be a significant uh, increase in the share of homeschoolers in the U.S. population. So let me ask one last question, because I know, we, you know, this fall is going to be really interesting if we go back to school, right, or in what form or fashion, but we got an election coming up. I know you're heavily engaged and you, you watch the policy side of things, and you and I have talked about, you know, kind of ed policy quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Do you see any, I mean, with this, you know, with what we're seeing and maybe with some of this new demand or, or some of these new options that people are thinking and considering, do we see some shifts in the policy world too? We haven't seen it yet. Um, well, we have seen some efforts to block families from switching to virtual schools during the crisis. So we've seen negative policy pushes from, you know, special interest groups like in Oregon they made it illegal for students during the crisis to switch to virtual charter schools. That's absolutely ridiculous. One, one school, Oregon Connections Academy, reported to the Wall Street Journal that they had 1,600 kids blocked in Oregon uh, within like a week or two just because of the pandemic, because of the rules put in place to protect the monopoly during the pandemic. We had similar rules and efforts in Pennsylvania and other states. Uh, but I think you're asking more of a future push for policies. And I think, you know, uh, as I said, people are figuring out they like homeschooling. Everybody's essentially a homeschooler now, whether you want to call it true homeschooling or not. I mean, everybody is essentially pro providing some type of education from the home, whether you want to call that homeschooling in the strict sense or not. That's, that's essentially uh, a form of home education. And, you know, families are going to figure out they like it. But one of the problems is going to be the economic uh, feasibility of being able to do so after the lockdown. And I have a feeling that a lot of families are going to, like I said, take a step back and say, well, why is the government school getting my ed child's education dollars when they're not even educating my kid? And maybe they'll push and maybe there'll be a light bulb moment that goes off for parents where they say, well, they shouldn't get my child's education dollars. If I'm educating them at home or if I'm enrolling them in a private virtual school or a virtual charter school, that money should follow the child to wherever they're getting an education. There's no reason why a particular school that's not educating my child should get that money. Like, just like with food stamps, which I always like to bring up. If I'm not shopping at Walmart and I move to Trader Joe's, why should Walmart be getting my food stamps each, each month or each week? And why should Walmart get any of my grocery bills, whether I'm using food stamps or not, um, if I'm going to another grocery store? I think so families are going to start thinking about it this way and see that, well, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to use that money to help offset the cost of homeschooling. And hey, I really like homeschooling. I want to do so. I just can't do so financially uh, for whatever reason. So they might start pushing for education savings accounts. Um, so five states already have education savings accounts in place. They're all for special needs uh, families of students with, 
with special needs at the moment. So they're all pretty targeted, but we may see bigger pushes because like we've seen with other forms of private school choice, when families get a taste of educational freedom, they fight really, really hard to keep it. We saw this with the DC Opportunity Scholarship Program. We see this with charter schools. Parents essentially become their own special interest groups in a good way, actually, because uh, you know they wanna continue exercising their educational freedom. So we may see a similar trend with homeschooling where a bunch of families start saying, oh, I really like this. And then they start pushing in the legislatures really hard to keep the right to be able to educate their children at home and to keep and to be able to do so financially. And part of that would be to push for an education savings account program. So we may see more of that. And that's, that's kind of what I'm uh, predicting in, in the, in the next couple of years. Corey, always appreciate your time and energy. And, and I love connecting people with you on Twitter. Keep up the great work and thanks for everything. Thanks, Eric.